What's going on, everyone? I am Kyle Warner, host of the Great Dad Life podcast. Welcome to episode number four. On today's episode, we're going to focus on real estate investing. This will be especially helpful for those who are just getting started in real estate, as well as those who are still on the fence as to whether they want to take this route or not. So our guest today is a good friend of mine and someone who has pushed me to consider real estate investing in addition to equities. He started real estate investing at 22 years old out of college with little money, uh, has five properties and counting, and has done all this while working full time and is planning on, on bigger and better deals here in the near future. Matt Justice, what's going on, buddy? Hey, how's it going, man? Yeah, seriously, I am uh, stoked to be on. So I'm, I'm excited for uh, what this podcast means. What what this podcast means, and uh, hopefully we get some good information out there. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe we're actually doing this. It's exciting. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was seems like a uh, back of the napkin conversation <laughs> you know, a while back, and now it's uh, yeah, now it's a real thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm pumped. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but full disclosure, Matt is a dog dad, um, uh, but all of the information is incredibly valuable and relevant. So, yes. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah. In, in, in twenty twenty, you can't really you know separate dog dads from from uh, normal dads. Right? So they make t shirts for it, so you know it's legit. Right. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, uh, before we dive into your, your path in, in real estate and some lessons learned, can you give us a, a quick bio as to, to who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as you alluded to, I mean, my name is Matt Justice. I'm 29. I've been investing in real estate since I was 22. Uh, my wife and I live in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, yes, with our two dogs. So I do um, sales for a uh, supply chain company. My wife is a dentist here in town. So I, I work remote, but I, I travel a decent amount when there is not a pandemic going on in the world. And uh, my wife's obviously in the office on a daily basis. So yeah, it kind of kind of lines us up for uh, you know an interesting combination. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And uh, do you recount how we first met? I'd yeah. like to hear your side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was I, this. So I was reading through the show notes, and this was it, it kind of made me smile to kind of think about this, but. Well, yeah, when we, we first met, I was, uh, I was managing a warehouse in the, the Chicagoland area and you had just joined our company in the, uh, in the lane department. So, you know, I, I, we were a startup warehouse. So naturally that lent itself to, uh, lots of lane projects. You and I started working together quite a bit. Um, quickly found out that you were pretty investment oriented, pretty, uh, you know, you know, pretty, I'll, I'll call it goal obsessed, right? Is that fair? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So, and I, I'm pretty similar in that regard. So we, we quickly, you know, started talking about investment goals, kind of where we're at, we're at with different, uh, you know, different investments, whether that was in the market or, or even real estate. And, um, you, it took me a while to catch on to the fitness side of things, but you eventually got me on the fitness trains. And so now I, now I work out regularly too, which I guess is good for me. <laughs> so, no, but, uh, no, it was honestly a, a really good friendship right from the start. Um, you know, our wives get along really well. And, uh, I'm no longer in Illinois or, you know, the Chicagoland area, but, you know, we've got this technology to keep us close from afar. So, <laughs> yeah, man, no doubt, no doubt. Well, maybe maybe you'll be joining me down in Tennessee sometime. <laughs> Only time will tell, my friend. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and jump into real estate. So I, I guess on one hand, there are a ton of reasons that, that someone would invest in real estate, right? I mean, if you've read any books or blogs about investing, it's 
portfolio diversification, cash flow, tax advantages. Um, folks uh, see it as education savings for kids. Um, and there are just as many misconceptions about real estate investing, right? You're going to get calls at, at two in the morning every night. You need a huge down payment for any property. Um, real estate's super risky. Um, so, so basically, I wanted to talk to you about your story, your why for how you got started and, uh, you know, put the kibosh on, on some of these misconceptions. And um, we understand that everyone's situations um, are unique, right? Their, their means are unique. Their goals are unique. So we, we don't see this as a blueprint for someone to take and, and directly apply. But maybe there are some lessons learned based on your story or um, why you made certain decisions that that they could take and, and really run with. Yeah, I, I just I echo that because I look at this and why I think you know my value proposition for being on the show or for talking to people about real estate is I'm I'm a normal person. I'm just like your average guy. So you know I I was kind of joking with my wife as I was reading some of these notes to her, and I don't want to scare people away. Like, yeah, I've got we've got we're a two income household. One of which is obviously she's a dentist, but none of the houses we own we actually bought like while she was been a dentist. So she's only had, we've only had been a two income family for like 12 months now. And so, you know, I did all this stuff with, with little money, with little know-how. Um, I didn't go to school for real estate. Uh, I was an econ major. So yeah, I just, I want to share my story with, with folks and I, you know, I'll, I'll give my email address at the end of the show too. So people will reach out, but I mean, I'm a, your normal everyday guy that just happens to own some real estate yeah, you know, investments. So it, it's, if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. He's humble too. So, <laughs> well, That's right. well, take us back to the beginning. I mean, you were fresh out of college, right? I think 22 years old when you made your first deal, what was your, your why? Yeah, no, absolutely. When I'll, I'll even, I'll even back it up a little bit further. So, so some bonus audio here. So <laughs> I, I was in high school, I went to a really small high school and I was you know, very entrepreneurially minded, you know, just, just kind of trying to, pick up odd jobs and do stuff like that. And I, I ended up working with and doing a couple internships with some local entrepreneurs. And so through them, I, I met a lot of different folks and I ran errands for them and I, I pretty much did whatever, whatever they needed done. But I was also able to kind of, you know, side by side learn from them. So, you know, that was, that was really cool for me. But the one thing I noticed in high school early on was that, or, or later in high school before I went to college was that all the really like successful people that I knew invested in real estate in some way. And it may not have been their number one, it may not have been number two, but they did something in real estate. And so I, I kind of correlated those things early on. I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily tie it into lifestyle design or to like the point that I'm at today with real estate, but it was something I wanted to do early on. And so, you know, when it, when it came to making my college choice, I chose between, you know, a really you know, prestigious state university where I wasn't going to get a ton of scholarships versus, you know, a D3 college, you know, in, in central Illinois where that had really good scholarships. So ultimately that kind of shaped my decision and ultimately set me up for what I, what I can talk about, you know, coming out of college and, and where that put me. So. Okay. So, so coming out of college, I mean that you knew you wanted to get into real estate and I, I can relate to that. I mean, I remember when I commissioned into the army, I started reading about investing and I read a book called How a Second Grader Beats Wall Street. <laughs> and they were they were on the Roth IRA train and 
Um, you know, I, I didn't know all the ins and outs, but I knew that I wanted to invest in a Roth IRA at that point, And I knew it was going to be a positive thing. So yeah, yeah, definitely that, that, understand. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. So, so I, I graduate from college and, um, I mean, my senior year, second semester, seriously, I was so broke. Like I was like making, working at the college, a few different jobs and, and those paychecks from college aren't exactly great, but I'm like, you know, trying to figure out which case of beer I could buy for the weekend, like that, <laughs> that kind of broke. So I remember, so after graduation, I have, I'm having dinner with mom and she, my mom, and she just like casually drops like, Hey, since you know, you, you know, got all these scholarships for college, we actually have a little surplus of, of money left over, you know, in your college funds. So I, I think it's best to give it to you. I'll talk to the accountant. I don't think there's any tax implications on me just giving it to you. And, you know, since my original plan was to go get an MBA, but, you know, obviously I, I got a, a decent job offer and just the way the market, the job market was, it made sense to, to not do that. So um, it ended up being $12,000 or, or thereabouts. And I remember thinking at the time, I am so rich. So I like, <laughs> I had no debts when I graduated college, which is so different than a lot of, a lot of folks these days and a lot of kids. But, um, yeah, so I basically had a car worth like 3,500 bucks. I had a $500 limit on my credit card and I was going to get $12,000. And so that was the first time I really could think about like what I wanted to do or how that kind of fit in with my goals. And I thought about what I could do with it. Um, you know, at the time I had a car with a hundred and 40,000 miles on it. Uh, I was getting about 18 miles a gallon and on a good day. Uh, my commute to work was, was pretty substantial. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I may look, I'll, I'll get a nicer car. Well, <laughs> that didn't really fit in with my long-term goals. And it was, you know, it was, that was pretty short lived because the cars you can get for $12,000 plus a cheap trade are not very good. So I was like, well, what else can I get? And I started, I downloaded, uh, you know, either realtor or zillow.com and I started looking at houses in the area. And I knew that I didn't want to rent right out of college. Like I, I never really wanted to rent, like paying room and board to the college. I think was uh, like, that was like all I had to pay, but it was enough to let me know I, I didn't want to rent. So I actually looked at a house in the area and I, I started looking at it. And it was like, uh, I could, you know, talk about my first deal here in a little bit, but I, I ended up being able to work with my banker and I could get it for less than the $12,000 that I had. So why they loaned me money, I don't know still to this day, but. <laughs> Um, you know, I had a job lined up and I had some money in the bank. And so that's what I did. So my original intent with the house, um, was to move in there and then get a roommate. It was a two bed, one bath home, but I eventually just rented it out to my buddy because the money that he was going to pay more than paid the mortgage. And, um, I knew he would be a good tenant cause he was my best friend at the time. So <laughs> he also had a good job lined up. So yeah, that, that all kind of worked out. And so that's kind of how I started right out of college and yeah, I, we, we can talk more about how that deal went down and kind of what, what led to it, but it wasn't some big jump. It wasn't, I didn't go right from, you know, no money to a big multi-unit or something like that. It was a, it was like a 900 square foot house right next to the college. So did you have the foresight to think about what your goal was with the investment initially, like whether that was cash flow or, or long-term uh, equity? Or were you just happy to get into the real estate game and you were new, you knew you were doing something positive, like from the get go? Yeah. So young Matt Justice, his goal was to own the world. Like, uh, I, hard to say you wanted to be like Donald Trump in a, in a day and age like today, but at that time, I, it was like, 
you know, real estate mogul. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted the the wealth and I wanted the power and I wanted to own, you know, downtown Chicago or something. And <laughs> it, it wasn't, it's very different from what my picture is today and, and what I did. I, I don't know that I thought a ton about how buying a two bed, one bath house was going to play into that, you know, owning a you know few city blocks or something like that. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I looked at it and I knew what I could get for rent out of the house was more than what my mortgage would be. I knew that I had the money to buy it. It was a simple enough house that that really couldn't be much that was wrong with it. Um, I was fairly handy. I could fix most of that stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I knew it was right next to the college, which had been there since the early 1900s. So I didn't think it was going anywhere. So yeah, it uh, that was really kind of how I made the decision. And now that I, you know, as I look back at it, all of those things were really good reasons to make the decision for it. I didn't overcomplicate it. I didn't get tied up in analysis paralysis, defining exactly what the ROI was on it. I just knew Matt makes more than what Matt pays the bank. And that's all I cared about. So. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, you know, definitely a great start. And uh, one of my questions was, how did you get in touch with the banker that you use? Because this is the same banker that you've used for all of your properties or Not all the majority of them. Of them? Yeah, most of them. And okay. he's always the first one I go to on any, any property or any deal. So yeah, I can talk about some of the, some of the different ways that I've bought properties and that I think yeah. makes total sense to anybody out there. And so the, yeah, so, so what happened was I went to this, uh, I always like to work with local banks. So I went to a local bank in town and I sat down with this guy and I didn't know anybody at that bank at the time. And I go in there and I sit next to this guy. And first off, he was like the most boring dude in the world. And this is not my banker today. Um, so he's like the most boring dude in the world and really showed like no interest in working with me or like could care less whether I bought the $60,000 house from him or not. And so, or with him or not. And they were like, yep, 20% down you'll need. And I'm like, 20% down, bro. That's, that's, uh, that's like all I have. So I don't really want to give up everything that I have here, you know, to be able to do that. And so, I I remember kind of vaguely thinking that one of my one of my older fraternity or one of the older members in our fraternity who had actually graduated before me but had been around at some functions that kind of stuff was a, a banker locally. So he actually ended up calling me when he found out like friend of a friend that I was looking at, you know, purchasing rental property and doing stuff like that in Jacksonville. So he reached out to me and uh yeah, we sat down, we had a good conversation and you know, we, he agreed that for the first couple of deals, we could do 10% down. The market's stable enough. I've got a good job. You know, I'm not making, you know, really poor decisions. And as long as I wasn't buying a house that was, you know, you know, a, a total fixer upper where it could be unlivable or something like that, they'd back it at 10%. So that was a really, a really cool deal for him to do. And along with that, he actually hooked me up with the realtor that I, I end up or ended up working with, you know, still to this day. So yeah, they're, they're a, a great combo and they hooked me up with really all the tools I needed to be successful with. And they always answered a lot of the questions I had. So that was a really good starting point. And I, I probably point, I'll, I'll steal it for bigger pockets, but which is one of the podcasts I listen to, but they always say rock stars, no rock stars. And that is, I mean, that's, that's so true, especially in the, you know, real estate and banking industry for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that a little bit later, you know, when we talk about key takeaways, but in every real estate yeah. book I've read, bigger pockets, like you said, it, it's all about your, your team. Right. right. And I remember buying my first property up here in Chicago and I went through a, a larger organization and I 
probably didn't talk to the same person more than twice. Um, and we just went through a refi and I've been working with the this, this same banker the entire time. And I, you know, like you said, you can ask questions, um, you can run different scenarios, you can develop a relationship, tell them what your goals are, um, you know, and, and they're really going to serve you better that way. Right. Yeah. It was, it was so big. And, and for the first three deals I bought, you know, to be able to put 10% down and we, we did all those as commercial loans. So I didn't have to pay PMI on them. Um, I mean, he, he helped me, he helped me out in, in any way that he could. And even, even the realtor that I, that I work with now too, you know, I, I'd consider all of them friends and, but I can text these guys day or night with questions and they can always give me feedback. So, you know, we, we'll talk about how my, my wife and I goal set, but another one of the things we do is we, we kind of operate around a personal advisory board, you know, like who do, who do we trust to go to with questions like this? And, you know, even, even the last couple of weeks I went to, to JV, who's, who's my banker. And I, I asked him some questions like, Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing? I mean, should I, I've got some cash on hand. Should I really pour this into an investment property right now? Should I wait? Do we think there are foreclosures coming down the pipeline? Do we think the second wave of coronavirus is going to be the real deal? Like what, like what, where do we go? And, and it kind of to have somebody to bounce ideas off of who understands the industry, um, who understands your, your personal and, and financial situation is that's a huge help. So I'd yeah. recommend to anybody that before you go out and buy a deal, before you do anything, you, you've got to make a, uh, a relationship or you've got to find a relationship with somebody in the lending industry and, and talk to them and, and put yourself at ease. It'll, it'll erase a lot of the concerns that you have, but also a lot of the concerns that others throw at you. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of those guys might get a bad rap, but uh, if you develop a relationship with somebody that you trust, it's really invaluable. And it, it can be a long lasting relationship, like you said, right? Right. Well, and pay, pay the extra points too. So like if it, if you could go to us bank and get a loan and it's a, you know, a little bit cheaper than, you know, the, the, you know, bank, that's the hometown bank, but you like the person you'd work with at the hometown bank, it's okay for them to make money. As long as you're not, you're meant, you're uh, like your money still works out and you know, everything you do still pencils out, man, it's, it's fine for everybody to make money. I, I used to think business was all about, you know, I have to make money and you can't make money, but that is, is just all your relationships are better when everybody's, you know, a valued member of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Don't jump over dollars to pick up quarters, right? That, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. That is that's so true. Well, you, uh, you touched on that first deal and, and how your banker really helped you out in structuring the loan to avoid PMI and to give you the option to put 10% down as opposed to 20%. So you have more cash in your pocket. Um, yeah, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the really cool and interesting parts, I think, of my like real estate journey is I've always really had to be creative. So, um, yeah, those, so I did my first three deals I did at 10% down. And actually, one of the houses I think I might have even got money back at closing because, mm-hmm. uh, we negotiated there and needed a new roof and some other stuff. So I actually got money back at closing. But, um, yeah, those first three deals I did were all commercial loans, um, done, you know, no PMI. They're, they're five year mortgage or they're, they're, you know, 15 or 30 year mortgages, but they refi every five years. So um, there is a little bit of, you know, an added fluctuation in what your rate's going to look like, but actually it's all been good news for me so far. Um, And then I bought my fourth property and my fourth and and fifth properties with uh, FHA loans. And so, you know, for those that maybe don't know or haven't bought a property before, FHA loan is is basically a government backed loan that allows you to buy a house for as little as three and a half percent down. Um, you do pay PMI or primary mortgage mortgage insurance. So that's where you have to pay, you know, 
a percentage of your mortgage to actually insure it in case you default or something like that. They don't want 2008 happening all over again. But um, so that that was really cool. And so, you know, that allowed me to buy more properties for for less down. But the catch is those have to be your, you know, primary mortgage or your primary residence, which for me, they were. So um, basically, those next two properties, I bought one, lived in it for two years, bought another one with that FHA loan. Um, and, you know, moved into them and, and used them as my primary residence for a couple of years. So in, in, in one of those, I was able to actually refinance and um, drop the the mortgage insurance off of it because I had m- more equity than what was needed. So. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. So and then and then pro- probably worth noting when my wife and I moved down into Clarksville, I promised myself when I graduated from college, I'd never find myself in this position again. But uh, we were broke again when I was moving down to Clarksville. So, um, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but we didn't have a ton of cash on hand when we did it. So my wife was just graduating dental school. Um, so we had operated on some of her student loans. Um, I was moving out of the Chicago market. Uh, I used a lot of cash to, you know, buy some of those homes and obviously homes do come with renovations and things of that nature. And so when we moved down to Clarksville, I was ac- actually able to use, a. Uh, a VA loan, which I'm not a, not a veteran. So and I, I was not in the military, but there's actually a website out there, which we can put in the show notes where you can look for foreclosures. So if, if the VA forecloses on a, a VA loan, you can actually buy that as your primary residence for 0% down and not pay PMI on it. So um, it's, it's a pretty cool option if you don't have a ton of money, but you don't want to rent either. So. Yeah. And I, uh- I just wanted to touch on on you saying you were you're broke, right? For folks that aren't real estate investors, um, there's a term uh, called cash poor, and and what that is is it means a lot of your money is tied up in the equity of of homes, right? So there's not a whole lot of cash in say a checking account or savings account or something that's um, that you can reach really easily. Yeah, no, you, you nailed that. And so like. I look at that uh, that first property that I bought, and I, I think I, I paid sixty thousand dollars for it, and I, I think the mortgage was somewhere like five hundred and eighty bucks, something like that. And the like the what I rented it for was like seven hundred dollars. So people would look at me and they're like, "Wow, you're doing all this for one hundred twenty dollars a month?" And I'm like, "No, that's not exactly right." They're like whoever's living there is actually paying the mortgage for me too, and so there's money basically going in paying equity, and so then you know, five years down the line, seven years down the line, you look at that and you're like, wow, I've got a $60,000 house. Yeah. I've maybe made 120 bucks a month. I've made some repairs, but let's even say you broke even um, on what the mortgage is. You still now have a $60,000 house and you know, you've got 10, 15, $20,000 in equity that, that other people have been paying down for you. It's, it's almost like having a savings account that other people put money into for you. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And let, let's go back to the VA loan. Um, so you bought what's considered a VA foreclosure and basically there, there are a lot of benefits to buying said property, right? I think one is a a lower down payment that's required. Mm -hmm. 0%. So we, we put down like, we had to pay some fees, but it was like $1,800 to buy our house. Right. Wow. I mean, and you know, I, I hadn't heard about any, you know, being able to, to do that or, or leverage, uh, that program until you did it. And I lived right. in a military town, right? So yeah, our, our realtor who, you know, sells a bunch of houses here actually didn't know about it either. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it, cause it's such a unique thing and it's, uh, it, it's very interesting. So, yeah. 
So I, I think that just goes back to show, you know, you, you started investing with somewhat a, a small amount of cash, right? And um, you work through that by being creative. And, and even in, in this house that you're in now, right, you, you had a creative financing option um, that allowed you to acquire more property, even with a, a small amount of cash on hand. So that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Great use I think, of leverage. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, yeah, thanks. And I think that it's people can use their own home as a, you know, as a, as an investment tool and as a, you know, a way to build, you know, their, their real estate portfolio. So, like I said, well, I've, I've lived in three of the homes that I now rent out and mm-hmm. I, you know, that that's, it won't always be that high of a percent, but you know, I, you can use your, you, when you're going to live in a house personally, there's a, a ton of different options you kind of unlock or a ton of different levels you unlock to, to be able to do that. And so, you know, we, we've had roommate, my wife and I had roommates up until a year ago when we moved into this house. Um, so we've, we've house hacked, we've done whatever it took to really kind of build that equity in some of our homes. And so that, that's really been, well, cool of my wife to, to let us do that. But also, you know, it's, it's been a big game changer for us as far as like what we appreciate in life and kind of like what, you know, how, how we structure ourselves. Now we're in this house that when we moved into it, you know, that smokers had lived in here, um, you know, the people that used the bathrooms didn't necessarily always use the bathrooms. So like we had to clean a bunch of stuff up. Like it was, it was, a, it was a dirty house. Like we definitely paid the price for it, but you know what? We got a house that was under market value. We got it for $1,800. Um, it's now worth, you know, more than we owe on it, which is awesome. We've put a little bit in it and it feels like home. So, you know, f- flashback to, you know, when I lived in Chicago with a roommate or when we lived in Jacksonville with, you know, three, four, roommates. I mean, it, it feels like home now. And so we're trying really hard to not let our, you know, expectations or our expenses outplay what we, you know, grow our, uh, our income by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing that we haven't touched on yet that, that you did, um, to, to help margins, right. Was you managed all of your own properties until recently, yeah. right? So, yeah. so you've worked with the tenants, you've done up the, the contracts, uh, you get the calls when, when things aren't working. So, I mean, let, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, no, it's and actually, I, I kind of look at this. Um, I mean, I'm always growing and I'm always kind of refining my systems and trying to, to make the process not only better for me, but also just a better experience for my, my tenants overall. So a lot of my, so I invest in Jacksonville, Illinois, which is where four of my properties are. Um, and when I lived in Jacksonville, it was really easy to manage them. And even when I moved to Chicago, my wife still lived in Jacksonville and I was back frequently enough that, you know, I, I could work it out. It was, it was easy to do. But, um, recently this, yeah, this last year when we moved down to, to Clarksville, Tennessee, it was, you know, a little bit harder to manage those from afar when you don't have boots on the ground there. So we had to refine our process a little bit. But I would tell anybody starting out, if you're able to invest in the market that you live, it is an excellent experience to be the landlord before you go out and try to hire property managers or anything like that. And, you know, I know in our show notes, one of the things that, you know, popped up was like, people talk about all the time, why you shouldn't be a landlord and what the, or why you shouldn't own property and that kind of stuff. And I've got to be honest with you, every single person I told that I I told I was investing in real estate, they would be like, Oh, you want to be a landlord or you want to talk to tenants or whatever this was. And like, it almost kind of psyched me out. Like I was almost afraid. Like when I told people I closed on this first property, people like were not, they're like, wow, that's dumb. Why would you do that? And 
I've never really had a bad tenant experience. You know, I've worked with tenants that weren't organized or, or were messy and that kind of stuff, but it just isn't true that you're going to have a house and you're going to have tenants that trash it or that don't pay on time and that kind of stuff. Like those things happen and I'm going to knock on wood here, but I, you know, I've been investing for six years. I've, I, you know, self-managed. I've done a lot of, you know, a lot of the grunt work and I've never once really had that issue. And I attribute that to the fact that, you know, I, I treat my tenants the way I'd want to be treated and, and even maybe a little bit better. And so if you treat your tenants like individuals, I think, and you get to know them and, you know, you know that, hey, they're engaged or whatever, and you, you drop them a wedding present or, you know, you shoot them a text, you know, happy birthday or, or, or Merry Christmas, whatever, whatever the you know case may be. Uh, you get a lot more out of them. So I've never gotten a 2 a.m. call. Um, I've, I've gotten Friday at six o'clock calls, but you know, not, not the 2 a.m. calls. I, I haven't had tenants trash properties. I've never had anyone not pay. And that, by the way, is through coronavirus. So like no one, no one skipped out on their rent. I've had a lot of college students rent those, you know, rentals that are in Jacksonville and nothing but respect for the properties. And they've been very honest when they mess something up. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I've actually, I've never taken a security deposit in six years. I, I collect a security deposit, but I've never withheld payment of a security deposit back to anybody. And I think that's a, a testament to like, people might tell you something about real estate's really scary, but if you jump in and the, the fear of death might be worse than death itself there, right? So. Right, and I think it's like the news, right? The, the, the little bit of bad news that happens makes the biggest splash sometimes and you don't hear about the good experiences that folks have. Right. And it's, I mean, you, you talk with your tenants and if you, if you self-manage for a while too, or, you know, a couple of years, whatever the case may be, your appreciation for what property managers do goes up, you know, tenfold. Like I used to think I've, I've got a property manager now that, that takes 10% of the monthly rent. And I, or early on, I would have thought, no way, that's so much. And I would have nickel and dimed them until it was six or 7% or whatever the case may be. But now, they do a great job. I'd gladly pay them 10%, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're dealing with issues that you don't have to. So, um, and it, so there are tough parts to it, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I probably never spent more than five hours a month, you know, an hour a month on, you know, per house. So it's kind of, it's kind of up to you and you get to determine what, what you like to do and where you have margin to hire a property manager. So. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, you know, just a, a different use of leverage in a property manager, but. There are also different um, free uh, tools to use, right? I think one of them that you mentioned to me uh, was Cozy. I think yep. it's cozy.com. Mm -hmm. And it's a free uh, you know, resource for landlords where you can manage payment, manage work orders that your tenants submit. Um, you can post properties, collect payment through there. Um, all free, yeah. right? You can do oh, background yeah, awesome. checks. Okay. Yeah, you can require background checks, like you said, and and the, the prospective tenants pay for it. I mean, it's all free to the to the landlords, which honestly helps put out a better product. And yeah, it's it's really cool. And so there's that, and then uh, Stessa is another one, which is assets backwards for for anyone writing that, writing that down. But um, it's yeah, it's it's a lot of the same stuff you can track. Uh, I don't know that you can post properties from Stessa, but yeah, all, all of those are really good tools to leverage. And you just have to take advantage of the fact that it's 2020 and uh, there's so much technology out there to help. And there's so much, I mean, I do, a, most of my rent collection is virtual. Even if I do get a check, it's, you know, right on my phone, right into the bank, I mean, all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I think, I think there's a ton of opportunity there for anybody that invests in real estate to leverage 
yeah, either a property manager or lots of, you know, process driven tools. I mean, you could have cozy and, you know, have work orders submitted through cozy, have rent submitted through cozy and all that stuff tracked. So, you know, you've got one portal that's good and easy for you to utilize. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And, you know, the, the last piece of leverage I wanted to talk about, uh, I guess you could call it leverage and something that you've talked to me about that you've been, um, just very on top of is your, uh, your maintenance, doing your, your pre-maintenance, right? So knowing what the lifespan of, of different appliances is and, and knowing when those costs are going to come is, is huge in your planning, right? Um, so can you kind of talk up through how your, your process for getting that maintenance scheduled and completed has, has changed since the beginning? Yeah. So like I said, when I first bought real estate, the the goal was to own the world. So I just wanted to squeeze every penny out of each house. And I learned really quick that that just, I mean, it's, it works for some people, and but it, it didn't work for me because my goal changed from own the world to lifestyle design where I could, you know, be flexible and, and not really not have a second job. I didn't buy real estate or I don't want real estate now that, that that's a job. I want real estate now that creates passive income. I want mailbox money. And, you know, early on, I didn't take the time to, I mean, seriously, that's what I did with my first property. I, I logged into um, Craigslist. It didn't have a washer dryer in there. So I was like, all right, cheapest washer dryer on Craigslist. Okay. I went out, I bought the cheapest washer dryer on Craigslist. Well, a year later, I was buying a new washer dryer, you know, this time not on Craigslist, but <laughs> I was like, so what, I, what did I do? I made friends with the local appliance store. They, they go out and they fix appliances or they tell me I need a new one. And then they put a new one in the property or a used one, a, a, a new used or, or scratch dent, whatever makes the most sense for the property. And they install it and there's a warranty on it. And they help me track like, you know, how long it's been the property or what parts under warranty and that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you buy a property, one of the things I, I really think you should do is buy it and do what you need, fix what you need to fix, you know, right away. You know, obviously it's, it's what you can afford. And if you're working on a limited budget, you got to pick and choose. But if you, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you, sorry, I've got my computer trying to do a, uh, an update on me right now. Um, if you can afford to go in and, and replace it, you know, a bathroom or, you know, replace a stove or, you know, put a, put a new washer dryer in there. If you know the air conditioner shot, go in and replace those things or budget to replace them like the next season. Cause you're going to sleep a lot better at night. And this is part of why I haven't gotten 2 a.m. calls is, Hey, if you replace stuff that, you know, what's isn't, you know, a 911 emergency, then you don't have anything less left to fix. I mean, people can wait till Monday to call you. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good stuff, man. Um, well, a lot of good takeaways. Do you have, you know, two or three lessons that you want listeners to, to walk away with that, that I, you'd like to share? Yeah, I do. And I, I kind of jotted them down here, um, you know, as I was planning for the show. So the first one uh, kind of goes along with jotting down your ideas, but writing down your goals is, is huge. And I think that um, I undervalued that a lot um, in college. I undervalued that a lot even before that. But as I've continue to grow professionally. And as I've continued to kind of grow personally, I, I think that putting your goals down is, is absolutely key. So my wife and I actually, this year was our, our first one, but we went out and we did a, a goal setting weekend. We actually took the weekend away. We had a, you know, a script of things that an agenda of things that we wanted to roll through. We, 
you know, goal set basically all morning on Saturday. We went for a hike, had some lunch, came back and wrapped up in the afternoon. And just putting our goals down on paper this year has drastically improved, you know, our, our quality of life. So it's not just about at work, you get a set of goals that you need to accomplish for a year or something like that. You can do that, you know, with yourself too. And they can be simple. They can be drink more water in a day. They could be exercise more. They could be, you know, buy two properties that cash flow a thousand dollars this year. I mean, you, you set the goals and then you can work backwards from your goals to, you know, see what action items, you know, you have to do on a daily or a weekly, monthly basis to achieve them. So the other thing it does too, is it, it helps you and your spouse be on the same page. So, you know, we're, we're trying to relate to, to folks here that, you know, are great dads or great parents just in general. And I didn't realize, you know, some of my wife's goals maybe didn't match up with mine or, or she wanted different things than I did, but, you know, we were able to find common ground and say, okay, well, at the end of the day, this, this investment method, you know, partial real estate, partial 401k, whatever the case may be, makes sense for us. So. Yeah. I, I actually have to give you a lot of credit because, uh, the, the couples retreat, um, you know, I, I think it came from a book called the one thing, and it's a free resource that anyone can go get. And, you know, when, when you get married and especially when, when you become a parent, you know, so I have, I have one daughter, I know folks that have multiple kids. So, you know, this is probably amplified. It's hard to take the time to talk about some of those important things. And, uh, that guide really lays it out for you in a way that's not intimidating. Sometimes talking about finances or what some of your long-term goals are is, you know, kind of scary. Um, but the way it's laid out, Hey, go to a nice dinner. Don't talk about your goals. Um, you know, it, it's just very approachable. And then it has different categories for goals, you know, and it has, uh, prompt questions and, um, it, it was super beneficial for, for me and my wife as well. So I wanted to thank you for that and yeah. share, share that free resource with folks as well. Yeah, it's, it's seriously awesome. And I thought my wife and I did a good job of talking before. I mean, being, being a dog parent, I know is not the same as being <laughs> a, a parent of, you know, crazy kids running around, but, um, no, I mean, we, what we did and it, and again, don't make it out to be something that it, it doesn't have to be just like real estate investing. Don't blow it up to be something too big. Like we use some Hilton points that I had from traveling. We went somewhere that's three hours away and we, I mean, that's what we did. We didn't spend a bunch of money going to Cabo to do our goal setting weekend. You know, we got uh, a dog sitter for the weekend and we went out and we, we did this goal setting. Didn't take any time off work. We just, you know, fit it into a regular weekend. Awesome. So, uh, takeaway number one, write your goals down. Yep. Number two is educate yourself, but don't forget to act. So, it's really easy. Some people call it analysis paralysis. Um, I don't know. I may just call it being a scaredy cat, right? So uh, if you're afraid to jump into real estate, I mean, f figure out a way to get yourself, get your foot in the door. Cause I promise you, it's not as scary as you think you can go to any market and find a property that you can afford. Um, you know, obviously if you're listening to this in, uh, on the West coast, maybe that's harder, but you know, you can find something in your market or close to your market that you can afford that won't break the bank. At the end of the day, real estate is really, really forgiving. So there, there's very few times are you going to buy a property that um, you buy for, you know, let's say you buy it for a hundred thousand or you buy it for a million. It doesn't matter. 
the value is not going to be zero. I mean, unless the, the only way that can happen is if you go bankrupt. And I promise you, if you're that one person, like that, you, you have to, you have to miss a lot of check marks for that to happen. So work with somebody that, you know, uh, network with people, but certainly don't be afraid to act, do all the education that you can, but know at some point you just have to jump in. You can spend five years educating yourself on real estate and never close a deal. I was 22. I was right out of school. Like I said, not for real estate. And I, I jumped in and I learned a lot of stuff as I went. I got some scary texts from tenants, their tenants' parents that said, Oh, this isn't up to code or something like that. But I did, I did my best to maintain a safe property, abide by, you know, all the rules that I had to in my market. And, uh, if I got in trouble by code enforcement or I got in trouble by a tenant or something like that, I fixed it right away. I did what I would expect my landlord to do. Good stuff. All right. Number yeah. three. Number three is something I, my wife and I talk about a lot. Um, don't, don't get so focused on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey. So that's probably uh, written on somebody's wall somewhere, you know, next to the live, laugh, love, but it really, seriously, you have to figure out a way to enjoy like every single day. So my wife and I are on this financial independence journey and we want to find more flexibility in our, in our life and in our work and all that kind of stuff. But the, you still have to enjoy every single day because real estate is not a get rich quick scheme. Neither is investing in your 401k. It's all about designing a lifestyle that fits with what you, you want to do and with what you're able to do. So, you know, figure out what makes you happy and then make it important. Right. So, I work out in the mornings that make that starts my day off really well. Um, you know, some people need to meditate in the morning. Some people just want to get up, sit on the couch and and have a cup of coffee. If what whatever you have to do to put yourself in the right frame of mind to enjoy your your life on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that's with your kids, with your family, whatever it is, you know, make sure you make time for that and make that important because you can you can burn yourself out trying to make the end goal, you know, the end all be all. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else? I don't want to limit you to, to three key takeaways, no, but <laughs> no, no, I, th I think I could, I could share some resources that I can, uh, I'll leave you alone for the day. Yeah, absolutely. What are, what are your top resources? Yeah. So if I, I boiled it down to again, three things that I think everybody should, should do or should utilize. So the first one is if you're into lifestyle design, or if you are thinking about real estate or passive income, um, flexibility, or, or even if you're just struggling day to day in, in your job or with your family, whatever the case may be, four hour work week is a must. So um, Tim Ferriss is uh, one of my favorite guys. I read four hour work week per your request. Actually, uh, I put so it off forever. Six months. Yeah. For at least six months. <laughs> so anybody, anybody that gets to know Kyle knows it's like a, it's like a book a day basically that he recommends out to you. So uh, you gotta, you gotta filter through them and, and get to like the really good ones. And four hour work week was phenomenal. I mean, changed my, uh, changed my stance on what I was doing, changed my stance on, on uh, what I was doing as far as the real estate goes and, and what Kelly and I wanted in our lives. And so that was big. Um, and, and it, it'll have a positive impact on anybody, whether, you, you know, whether you're a, a wall street CEO or whether you're the, the janitor, you'll, you'll figure something out of that book that you like. So, yeah. well, I, I love that recommendation, Matt, cause it, you know, one of Tim Ferriss's uh, main topics is the Pareto principle or the 80-20 principle, right? Um, and, and he takes you through how he found out about it and how he looks at things. But, you know, I think it's so important for parents as well. What What is the critical 20% that's going to drive 80% of my results? 
And I think you touched on so many different things as far as leveraging the right team, um, utilizing some of the free resources out there that that really allowed you to do that. So yeah, I I completely agree with you. You know, I used to make fun of people that uh, had someone come clean their house or have someone mow the lawn and everybody's different. You know, everything's a little bit different, but if I was in a role where I was I was strapped for time and I, I couldn't spend it with my wife or I couldn't spend it with my family, or you know, one of the first things to go would be cleaning the house or or having the lawn mowed. Like that's so those are simple tasks you can outsource. You make money, you can outsource it to somebody because like the whole premise behind lifestyle design and what Kelly and I do is that we can't buy time back. And you know, that sounds really profound or cliche, one of the two, but uh, you, you can't get that back. So what are you going to outsource in your life? What can you outsource to others? And we start looking at your job that way. You can figure out, okay, how do I better spend my time to hit, to execute on my goals? How can I do this in real estate? How can I do this in my life? You know? So, you know, meal, meal prep is another one that I think is going to be bigger and bigger. If you're trying to have a healthy lifestyle, I mean, pay a little bit extra for your groceries to have them delivered to your house, meal prepped for you. I mean, that's a I mean, home run type of stuff. Yeah. Make, make the right choice, the easy choice, right? That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, like I talked about with the property managers, just cause you're paying somebody else, somebody else can make money. That's okay. You don't have to, you know, confine yourself to this you know little box. Yeah. Great. Okay. The four hour work week, read it. Yeah, absolutely. Next one is, is bigger pockets. So, um, you know, check out bigger pockets website. Um, they do podcasts as well. They've got a lot of books that they push out there to folks, but if you're serious about, um, investing in real estate, whether you're, you're doing so today or whether you want to do so bigger pockets is an excellent resource. They've also got something called the uh, real estate rookies, which is a newer podcast, but those guys are, are incredible. So, um, go over and, and check bigger pockets out as well. Create an account free, um, and, and start listening to some of those podcasts. Yeah. So they have the podcast. And for folks who are not familiar, I mean, once you create an account, it allows you to network with with other folks as well. And then there are also some calculators as far as figuring out repair costs and and other things like that. Am I touching on everything that's important there? Yeah. If you're a really numbers driven person too, like, you know, obviously the, the, the map makes more money than the bank, you know, it doesn't fit for everybody. So like, uh, they've got ROI calculators, all that kind of stuff that you can look into. So it'll, it'll help you figure out which road you want to go down if, if real estate's right for you. Absolutely. Agreed. Okay. Number three, number three, best resources, anything that gets you into networking. All right. So go to a local town hall meeting, walk into your local bank and make friends with somebody, uh, utilize friends of a friend, but just, just don't underestimate the, the resources that networking can provide you. I can, I can promise you I wouldn't be, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not the end of the road and I'm not, you know, the expert by any means, but I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for a, a lot of the folks that I networked with or, or was introduced to, or, you know, the friend of a friend, or, you know, even somebody that I, I didn't realize could be a, you know, a, a professional connection as well. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, man. Well, I, I really appreciate your time. I think you, you're you going to bring a ton of value to a lot of folks. Um, you know, I, we, we weren't able to cover everything today. So if folks want to <laughs> no, get a hold of you uh, for whatever reason, what, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, obviously, so I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Matt Justice, and then um, Instagram, Matty Ice 312, I think is what it is. But You'll, you'll see me on there. You'll find me. But um, e- email, if, if you've got questions or you just want to connect or, or talk about something, um, Justice Capital, J-U-S-T-I-C-E, capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L-L-C at gmail.com is the right way to, to reach out. And uh, 
I, I promise uh, relatively quick responses depending on when you send that email. So uh, full disclaimer there, but uh, no, I'm, I'm sure you can put them in the show notes too. So people will get it right. So <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks, man. If you ever need a co-host, you know who to call, right? <laughs>